Welcome to the Aquas Podcast. Conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. So it's January 2018 as we record this. It seems like a good time to look forward to what the new year might hold for uh, the funds industry and financial services generally. Maybe we start with looking at where we are at in the regulatory cycle. Uh, so about two weeks into the new year, we've already had three new regimes come into effect. Uh, we've had one for the benchmarks, benchmark regulation. MIFID two has taken effect. Uh, and the, the PRIPS regulation for packaged retail products has also come into effect. So uh, feels like there's still lots of regulation and lots of change on the way. And even from now to the middle of the year, we also have the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. We have the effective date for CP86, which is the domestic work on fund management company effectiveness. And the EU Money Market Fund Regulation comes into effect in July. So feels like there's still lots of change and lots of work for the legal and compliance teams on the uh, horizon. Is that a fair assessment? I think it is fair. I think the good news is that in terms of the regulatory cycle, I think we're probably more than halfway through and probably three quarters of the way through the regulatory cycle. There isn't Mm. any imminent or very large piece of new legislation being considered and being drafted and proposed for implementation two or three years down the line. I think we're in a phase of what I would call implementation and active supervision, where we're seeking seeing to address how all of these new pieces of legislation that have come in the last three, two years <clears throat> How they've actually been applied in practice. I think that's really important now. And I think the focus is very much from a regulatory perspective on supervision. So if you think of ESMA's agenda, they're very much looking at supervisory convergence and how we're working well collectively to supervise the sector that we are all responsible for. I also think... um, it's, it's very much in the phase of maybe testing how robust and rigorous our current model is. So you'll maybe see changes coming down the track around AIFM D2, but mm. nuancing per- particular areas such as maybe reporting or you're looking at the fit for purpose um, of maybe the likes of EMIR or of our usage regime, etc. that it's not going to be a massive overhaul of legislation. I think it's really any new legislation that you'll see is probably seeking to enhance the framework that we have already there. So a period of review, a period of looking to see how well the different pieces of legislation knit together and maybe to try and iron out some of the the problems where the, the two pieces didn't quite join up as they should, which is fair enough and, and um, ought to be very positive because maybe it Firstly, fixes any kinks that are there, and secondly, maybe gives industry a chance to to do something other than try and catch up with regulatory change, which is product innovation or or uh, process innovation, whatever it is that they're working on. Um, you mentioned that um, you know convergence and supervisory convergence and, and review is the probably the order of the day, which probably leads us into then the ESA review. So the Commission published their proposals for reviewing how the European supervisory authorities are working in September of last year. Uh, And there was some good stuff in there. And I suppose there's some stuff in there that was a bit surprising. And I guess on your side, probably a bit um, of a head scratcher in terms of how that would actually work in practice. And the two I particularly have in mind is proposals that ESBA, which is the European Securities and Markets Authority, would begin to authorise three different types of funds, venture capital funds, UVECA's, social entrepreneurship funds, USEFs, and, and long-term investment funds, LTIFs. Uh, and the second then is around opining on, on authorizations that involve a lot of delegation. On the first one, is that the, about authorizing UVECAs and LTIFs? 
and Yousef's. Was that something you guys were expecting? Is it something that um, you think will, will sit well or, or, or is there stuff there that you think, how is that going to work? I think it's very much how is that going to work. Um, yeah. I think the, the first concern I would have is what's the motivation behind it? And you could, from a practical perspective, will say we don't have that many fun types in our jurisdiction. So if ESMA want to take a greater role in terms of approving this particular type of fund for, for a particular reason, that's fine. But I, I guess my concern would be around um, why why they'd seek to introduce such a proposal and I suppose how adequately equipped ESMA are to actually facilitate such a proposal. I mean, I don't think we're unique as a regulator in that we have well-established service standards with our industry in terms of speed to market and turning um, funds around pretty quickly in an authorization perspective. And we've well-established procedures in terms of facilitating that process. So it is a little bit... um, Strange, I suppose it's probably too strong a word, but it's yeah. a little bit puzzling, I would say, around the motivation behind yeah. it and why they'd seek to actually look at this particular type of fund. And I suppose that the, the next question in my mind might be, well, what's next? Will they seek to look at maybe particular types of usage structures or or particular AFES that are maybe targeted towards a retail investor? I don't know is the yeah. honest answer. See, what I don't get is um, the uptake has been low on those three regimes. Fair enough. And the proposal frames that are around uh, part of the reason for the low uptake is a lack of convergence at European level and, and different national rules. I don't know. I didn't really get that. I think that uh, there has been a slow uptake because um, maybe the interest just isn't there. The appetite just isn't there for it. It was designed to be a regime that would allow smaller managers a European passport for particular types of funds. Um, and as I said, I, I don't see that a lack of convergence has been the reason for it. The original regulations were reasonably straightforward. Um, amendment regulations have come out and they make it more complicated, which isn't going to increase the attractiveness of the regime, particularly if it's for smaller managers that don't have the legal and compliance resources. And in the ESA proposal itself, there's another suite of amendments proposed to those pieces of legislation and a raft of level two measures, which are going to make it even more complicated again. So um, I don't know that bringing it to ESMA is going to increase the intake when you increase the complexity by a huge amount. Uh, you're right, though, because, you know, authorizing funds is a different skill set. It requires different staffing levels and, and, and different levels of experience. So they're, they're going to have to recruit in for that, presumably. And for three regimes that don't have a lot of funds, um, it does beg the question, well, what's what's next? Because, what you know, is, is it credible that they're actually just going to ha- recruit an authorization team to authorize funds that... There aren't very many of. No, absolutely. And even if you think of it, I mean, there's many fund jurisdictions right across Europe that have many hundreds of people involved in this process. So the this sheer scale of it from an ESMA perspective has to be frightening, yeah. uh, to be honest, in terms of actively engaging in this, this activity and delivering, I guess, to at least the standard that is expected right across Europe within currently, the within the time frame. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's yeah. really a challenge. So it will be interesting to see how that debate evolves mm. over time and what it really means in practice. Yeah. I think the second one that I, I, I was interested in was the um, the piece about the uh, delegations. So the idea that ESMA will opine on authorization applications where there's a lot of uh, delegation proposed as part of the business model. Um, again, is that, is that one that uh, you were expecting to see? Is it one that you can foresee uh, sort of questions and, and issues around how it might work in practice? I have to be honest, I was quite surprised with this because if you think of investment fund law, 
They have very clear rules around delegation. And mm. under AIFMD, we have um, a very strong model of MOU structures, particularly with third countries, which allow and facilitate, I suppose, supervisory cooperation and jurisdictional assessment in terms of th- third country delegations. So this I was quite surprised because this is stripping out, as it is currently suggested, a a component of the authorization process. And it's and I'm guessing it's uh, if you look at a fund authorization, you also look at the delegation arrangements by the AFM to whomever and whatever they decide to delegate to. And this one really struck, baffles me because do you assess delegation prior to accepting a fund authorization? Do you bring the fund authorization to near completion and then you wait for an, a view or an opinion from ESMA on the delegation arrangement to some third country um, Asia or in, in, in the US. I, I really struggle here as to how both national authority and ESMA will marry, I suppose, mm. this process in, uh, and not un, unnecessarily, I suppose, upset the apple cart in terms of the authorization function. Yeah. I think that this is really difficult. And, and whether ESMA will consider jurisdictions collectively or will, this, will they consider individual delegation arrangements? There's so much up in the air on this. Yeah. I, I find it quite baffling, to be honest. The thing that... Um the thing that I'd have a question about is how does ESMA form its opinion? Mm. Because, um, you know, the, the the mandate of ESMA at the moment is very much around, obviously, they're sort of a secretariat to, to the member states and they're a policy and a legal team and, and, and they formulate uh, recommendations and opinions and, and guidelines. It's quite a different skill set then to move from a policy kind of a, a role to authorization and supervision. So, you know, if I were a policy uh, person and I get an authorization application, I can advise on whether the application is in line with the policy intention, is in line with the laws, but whether it's appropriate and whether it's balanced, there's a different skill set and you need an authorization and a supervision team to make that uh, determination. So how do you do that without an authorization and a supervision team? You either recruit them in, uh, which perhaps is the solution, but again, you're recruiting a team to opine on other jurisdictions' uh, authorization applications, don't know what the volume is like, don't know what happens with the opinions when they're issued, or else if you uh, if you don't have that resources there, then do you look to your legal team to try and opine on it? Now, much as I love investment fund lawyers, and I am one myself, we're not the people to make decisions about authorization and supervision, and I know from experience that it's a different skill set. So I, I just don't know how they come up with that conclusion. Presumably, it means more recruitment uh, in ESMA. Quite possibly, or maybe a practical solution to that is that ESMA actually, um, I suppose, delegate back to the National Competence Authority where you have the existing skill set and expertise in exactly this yeah. this space. That, to me, would seem quite practical. But look, again, like the earlier discussion, let's see how this evolves. It's a long way to go on this one. It's I a think. long way to go on this one, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, part of the ESA review is around, you know, improving supervisory convergence. And I saw something in the FT this week, which I thought was a good example of there being convergence. It was a piece on uh, the on the BAF in the German regulator and uh, their approach to Brexit. And it was about um, the number of German banks that were, sorry, number of banks that were looking to relocate to, to Germany as a result of Brexit. Uh, and uh, in the piece, it was uh, Felix Hufeld, who's the head of BaFin, I think. He said, we're not a marketing agency and not interested in doing industrial policy. So their position was neutral on whether firms moved to Germany or not. 
that uh, resonates a lot and sounds a lot like what uh, the central bank has said about Brexit. That's fair, actually. We have always been very focused on, in the first instance, I suppose, the rigour and thoroughness of our approach to looking at new applications as they come down the line, but very much supportive of a strong culture of supervisory convergence right across Europe. Mm. We wanted a situation, if you're to operate as a true single market, that there was no regulatory arbitrage creeping into the assessment and review of um, firms seeking to locate or seeking to establish operations in Europe. Because obviously... It's really important to ensure that there's no that any migration of firms doesn't lead itself to a more fragmented or disjointed system. So supervisory con- convergence is core to that actually working really well. And I think we're beginning to see evidence of where that does work well. As you said yourself, there's an alignment of, of thought, yeah. at least with the Germans and ourselves on that, yeah. that front. And on Brexit, what, what are you guys seeing? Is there a lot of interest coming through? Is it? Yeah, actually, I, I think in... in the start of last year, there was a large number of what I would call maybe um, exploratory queries and uh, assessments being made of our jurisdiction and the regulatory regime. What we're actually beginning to see towards the end of last year, there's quite a large uptake in new applications that are landing on our desks. Mm. They tend to be in the space of new MIFID firms. And we're also seeing quite a lot of the Supermanco, or the management company that can actually act for both USITs and AFES, which is quite a popular vehicle. So there's quite a number and our authorization staff are quite busy in that space assessing and reviewing applications. I think the uptake is many times previous years uh, um, new, new new activity or new business. So it's real, the, the, the departure of... Yeah. Yeah business from the UK outside. It's very real and yeah. I'm, I'm sure our colleagues, my colleagues are in the office today even assessing, yeah, looking at applications, it's that, it's that real is what yeah. I would say to you. Yeah. yeah. Now there'll always be a certain amount of firms um, that are probably slower in their decision making process and decide perhaps to leave things to uh, later on this year um, and I think uh, one of the key messages I would say is it's really important to make your decision on whatever you want to do in terms of either a new business activity in a new jurisdiction or seeking to relocate but to engage with the regulator early is really important on this as well. The year will fly, to yeah. be honest. And let's assume we get to the end of the year and we have a good idea of what Brexit means, which if we don't, we're in trouble because March 2019 is the date. Um, I think that the, the challenge then is we don't have the UK around the table when we go to meetings in Europe, be it ESMA or the other European supervisory authorities or be it other areas altogether, agriculture or whatever. Uh, so it is going to be a challenge for us to build bridges and build relationships to um, help to exert influence and have the Irish position put forward and, and, and support it. Uh, that sounds like a lot of getting on planes and meetings and engagement at EU level. Uh, is that it is, a fa- it is fair. I think um, we've always benefited from having the UK around the table with us, not least from um, an English-speaking jurisdiction, a similar legal, practice, legal framework and regime to ours, like a common law s- structure. But I would say that we have very good working relationships already with existing European country, um, uh, regulators and conduct and reg- regulators is, is the right way of phrasing it. And um, I suppose through supervisory convergence, through attendance at meetings, we have built up those relationships. Mm. In my mind, the most important thing now is actually to turn those into more practical relationships. So that you're in, in the stage of um, discussions and uh, engagement that actually lends itself to perhaps picking up the phone and contacting your counterpart in France or in Germany or in Luxembourg or wh- wherever. And that you, you make it a little bit more 
I suppose, a live supervisory dialogue as opposed to a more formal supervisory dialogue. I think that's kind of critical, to be honest with you. I think it's also critical that the central bank continues to um, influence and participate quite actively around that European table and that it is very much... um, strong in terms of putting forward its position and it's very much focused on what is the right outcome, not at a national level per se, but what is the right European outcome here? What is the right outcome to protect investors irrespective of where they are located? I think that's really critical. Yeah, it's about turning up, it is. turning up to these meetings, turning up well prepared, mm-hmm. being on top of the brief and, and having a position that's that's strong and, and well argued and credible. Uh, so an even more demanding uh, job for the regulator into the future. Absolutely. And domestically then, what's what, what's the main things uh, you guys will be sort of thinking Focusing about this on. year? Um, it's a little early to say because planning is very much underway at the moment, but we have signalled... Um, towards the end of last year, some of the areas of focus that we will be uh, looking at in terms of thematic inspection. Um, we have restructured, so our thematic team will look at more than just funds. But from a funds context, um, I think it's no secret I have communicated openly around our focus on operational effectiveness and how that is bedding down within the management company structures and how it's actually being applied in practice. So that's something that we're certainly going to focus on for next year. We're very cognizant also of developments from an outsourcing perspective. We're going to look at innovation and financial innovation particularly because that's uh, no longer a theory either. That's very much operational in practice, not alone in the funds industry, but right across financial services. You're seeing innovations through new technology, to distributed ledger, through blockchain, whatever it is that actually assists and facilitates the firm's engagement and interaction uh, from a reporting context or even their engagement and interaction with their own client base. So we're very cognizant of, I suppose, a lot of different things that are coming down the track. So lots on. Lots on is the fairest way of saying lots it. Lots on. Yeah. Okay. Um, so to, to sort of wrap up then uh, for what we can maybe expect in 2018, it's more around consolidation, review, assessing whether the things we have work well and, and what might need to change. So uh, it sounds quite positive. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> Let's see. Maybe we meet up again at the end of the year and see if this is how it plays out or whether this was... Happy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's wrap it up there uh, and bring the podcast to a close. I want to thank very much, uh, Gráinne, for joining me. Uh, and thank you for listening. And we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Aquas Podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on RECs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R-U-R-Q.